Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you in the house of the Lord. For those that may not know me, my name is Ben Castle, and uh, Trent and I had the pleasure of going to Greenville Seminary together. He's been gracious enough to allow me to minister the word to you, which I consider a great privilege. Give attention now to the reading of God's holy word, the Old Testament reading, and the New Testament reading. In the Old Testament, we'll be reading from Hosea chapter 6. Hosea chapter 6. Give attention now to God's holy word. Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us. In the third day he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. Then we shall know if we follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning and he shall come up as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as the morning cloud and as the early dew it goeth away. Therefore I have hewed them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth and thy judgments are as the light that goeth forth. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. But they, like man, have transgressed the covenant. They have dealt treacherously with me. Gilead is a city of them that work iniquity and is polluted with blood. And as troops of robbers wait for a man, so the company of priests murder in the way by consent, for they commit lewdness. I have seen a horrible thing in the house of Israel. There is the whoredom of Ephraim. Israel is defiled. Also, O Judah, he hath set an harvest for thee when I returned the captivity of thy people. And then turning to Romans chapter 5 for our New Testament reading. Romans chapter 5, perhaps one of the most important chapters in the New Testament for understanding God's covenant with man. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience, experience, and experience, hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die, but God commendeth his love toward us in that While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. 
For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And finally, to our sermon text for this morning, which is found in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we'll be reading verses 14 through 21. And in light of these two Old Test, these, uh, the Old Testament passage and the New Testament passage, considering the salvation of man. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. The Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake, In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns uh, thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning thanking you for the Lord's day and thanking you for the appointed means of grace, namely the preaching of the word of God, which you have promised to make an effectual means for our salvation. And so we pray according to your promise and according to the grace of the Lord Jesus that you would bless this time of preaching, working in us true saving faith and sealing up our hearts unto your heavenly kingdom. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, many of you may know that in the book of Genesis, especially in the beginning part of the book of Genesis, Adam's name is also the word for man. And Adam's name in Hebrew is Adam, is not only the name for or the word for a man as opposed to a woman, it's also the word for mankind. And so when God first made man, he made Adam. But not only did he make one singular man, he made Adam as the father of us all. He is the head of mankind. And when God made Adam, he blessed him greatly. I hope that in this church, these are familiar truths to you. That when God made man, he put him in the Garden of Delights. He put him in the Garden of Eden. And he gave him one command. Do not eat of the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the only thing Adam had to do. That was the only thing he had to obey. But sadly, as we all know, Adam sinned by heeding the voice of his wife, who heeded the voice of the serpent. Now that brings us to the passage that we're going to consider this morning. After Adam had sinned, the question becomes, what is God going to do? What is God going to do with his creation that he loves? What is God going to do with man whom he made, as the scriptures tell us, in his own image? Brothers and sisters, you know, this is a great privilege. The cows and the dogs and the cats are not made in the image of God. The sun, moon, and stars are not made in the image of God. Even the angels themselves are not said to be made the image of God. But man is. Man, as the crown of creation, was made in God's image. And so we ask the question, what is God going to do? This passage gives us the answer. God is going to save him. God is going to deliver him. And what I hope we see in this passage is that when God saves, he saves in the same way from the beginning with Adam all the way to you and me. God works salvation the same way he did with Adam. Now, before we get to the details of our passage, I know that in uh, our tradition as Reformed Presbyterians, we know, we recognize that because Adam sinned, there's nothing we can do for our own salvation. Completely ruined. And so we know that God has to save us by the work of his spirit. It has to be the work of the Spirit that renews and regenerates us and brings us into eternal life. But as I'm sure y'all are familiar, growing up in the South, that there are many different interpretations of how the Spirit works. How do we know the Spirit is at work in our lives? Do we speak in tongues? Do we swing from the chandeliers? Do we heal? Or do we have... Deep emotions. 
Or do we uh, weep when certain songs come on the radio? How do we know that the Spirit is at work? One of the difficulties of answering this question comes from the fact that the Spirit works in secret. The Spirit's direct work is much like planting a seed, isn't it? If any of you have had gardens or done any kind of farming, you take the seed and you bury it in the ground. And then over time, by the miracle of God's providence, a plant springs up. You don't actually see what's going on with the seed under the ground. You only know the seed is growing when the plant bears fruit. Likewise, in this passage, what we're going to see is that when God saves man, he delivers him out of his sorrow through saving faith and seals him by his sacraments. I'll say that again. As we look at this passage, we're going to see that God saves him out of his sorrow through saving faith and seals him in that faith by his sacraments. This passage, I've divided it into three parts. Um, Verses 14 through 19 is sorrow. Verse 20 is saving faith. And verse 21 is a seal. Sorrow, salvation, and a seal. Verses 14 through 19 is sorrow. Verses 20 and 20, uh, verse 20, pardon me, is salvation. And verse 21 is the seal. And so we begin by looking at verses 14 through 19. Now, there is so much going on in these verses, we will only scratch the surface as it were. But the thing that I want to bring out of it for us this morning is to note the incredible sorrow of this passage. The the incredible tragedy of what has transpired. Put yourself in Adam's shoes. You are in the prime of your strength. God made Adam as a full-grown man. You are in the prime of your life. God has given you paradise itself. All the beautiful trees, all the trees that are good for food. And he gave you a gorgeous bride and said, be blessed, my creation. Now, Adam has sinned. He is ashamed. And God is casting him out. What tragedy is here? Literally, he was in paradise itself. And like that, he's going to be cast out. The Lord in this passage pronounces his judgments upon the serpent, the woman, and the man. He curses the serpent. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. He tells him that there will be eternal warfare against the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And that the seed of the woman will bruise his head, but the seed of the serpent will bruise that seed's heel. And then he moves on to speak to the woman. He said unto the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And every mother said, Amen. Not just physical, emotional, spiritual, 
as every mother knows, once you conceive that child, it does not matter. They are always your child. In sorrow, you will bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over thee. And then unto Adam, the Lord says, because you have disobeyed my word, because you have forsaken my commandment, the ground is cursed because of you. In labor and sweat, you will eat your bread. All the days of your life will be a frustrating drudgery. And by the sweat of your brow, you will eat bread until eventually you die and go to the dust. Sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow. But I want you to notice something very important about the way the Spirit works. You know, Paul the Apostle speaks in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 about godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. There are two kinds of sorrows in this life. There is worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. I want you to see in this passage that when the Spirit is at work, He will bring you through the valley of sorrow from time to time. But when the Spirit brings you through the valley of sorrow, He does not leave you without hope. Notice what he says in verse 15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and he shall bruise thy head. In the midst of all these storm clouds of God's judgment, there is, as it were, one ray of sunshine. I will undo this. I will defeat the one who deceived you. I will destroy the serpent through the seed of the woman. There is a ray of hope even in the midst of this sorrow. Now the sorrow of the world is hopeless. The sorrow of the world leads to despair. The sorrow of the world leads to self-destruction. You remember the two disciples Peter and Judas both betrayed our Lord. Both were driven to sorrow because of their betrayal. Judas, who sorrowed after the world, killed himself. Peter, who sorrowed after a godly sword, repented and was delivered from his sorrow by the grace of God. Notice furthermore in verse 15, What God is doing in verse 15 is he's giving a promise. This is so essential to understand how God saves mankind. God saves man. God saves you and me. God will save your children by a promise. That's it. It's not a command. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It is a bare promise. I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head. That is God's promise to mankind. And so we've seen in verses 14 through 19, sorrow. Now we need to see what salvation looks like. Salvation is more than just recognizing God has promised. Salvation is recognizing God's promise and then by the work of the Spirit, Trusting in that promise. 
Saving faith is not just knowing what God says. It is embracing with the whole heart and repenting in light of God's promise. This is what Adam does in verse 20. Very short verse, perhaps a verse that you may have run over in your Bible reading. Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Let's keep moving on. Cain and Abel are coming up. That's much more exciting. But notice several very important things about this verse. First, again, put yourself in Adam's shoes. What had he just been saying in Genesis chapter 3? The Lord comes to him and says, Adam, what have you done? Well, that woman you gave me deceived me and I ate. You ever had a fight with your spouse? You ever got into a little bit of argument and you look over? Woman, what have you done? Maybe not outwardly, maybe in our weaker moments in our hearts. That's what Adam is saying. At one level, he's not wrong, by the way. Adam was the responsible party. He should have taken full responsibility for this. But he is right in that the woman ate first. He is right at one level to recognize she brought this upon me. Now, I'll just say at this point, it's the man's role to take ownership in the marriage. Whatever she might have done, it's our job to bear the burden. I like what one of my professors said about this story with Adam and Eve. This is a little off script, so you bear with me a second. One of our professors in seminary would often ask the question, Eve ate the apple. What should Adam have done at that point? If Adam had not eaten the apple, what should Adam have done? And I think Dr. Morales' answer is brilliant. Adam should have offered himself up to die in her place, just as Christ did. But back to the story. Adam, understandably, though we don't justify it, understandably, Adam is looking at his wife and saying, Woman, you have brought death upon us. But what did God promise? By his grace, through the seed of that woman, I will undo this. Now in verse 20, Adam names her Eve. Why? Because she's the mother of all living. Out of her, life will spring anew. From this woman, in some way that he probably doesn't understand, the seed of the woman, this is the only woman in existence. Adam looks at her in light of the promise and says, you are Eve. He trusts what God has said over his own experience. Now, in salvation, when you come to the Lord Jesus, this is incredibly important to trust in God's promises because they are God's promises. But often when the Lord takes you through circumstances, he takes you through trials, he takes you through difficulties, it can become difficult to continue doing this. You know, at one level, brothers and sisters, God has made our faith the Christian life, as it were, painfully simple. Look to the promise, believe the promise. Live in light of the promise. Now, it's simple, but it's not easy. 
Likewise, Adam, he overcomes his circumstance, he overcomes his experiences, not by his own strength, but by the work of the Spirit and puts his trust in the promise of God. He's therefore able to name his wife the mother of all living. That's how I read this passage. I think Adam is exercising saving faith in light of the promise of Genesis 3.15. Notice also what happens when Adam exercises faith in the promise. When Adam exercises faith in the promise, the world begins to go back to the way it was supposed to be. In the scriptures, naming is a sign of authority. Those who are in authority give names. God named the light and called it day. He named the darkness and called it night. When Adam was first created, he brought all the animals to him and he gave names to all the animals. When God brought woman to him, he said, wow, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone, she shall be called woman. He gives her a name. Likewise here, as the Spirit is restoring mankind through faith in the promise, Adam exercises his authority in a godly way. Notice also, brothers especially, when Adam exercises his authority, it's a blessing to her. Can you imagine if you were in this situation, if you were in Eve's shoes? You listened to the serpent. You gave it to your husband. You thought perhaps this was okay to do. You realize now this is a horrible mistake. And your husband renames you the mother of all living. Your husband blesses you instead of cursing you. Exercising faith in the promise, Adam is saved. Now, one last thing to say about verse 20. I mentioned the work of the Spirit at the beginning. The Spirit works in secret. You can't directly see the Spirit working in your heart. You can't even see it in your children's hearts. You can't see it in your brother's heart. You cannot see the work of the Spirit directly. But what you can see is the fruit of the Spirit. And this is one of the primary fruits. Saving faith expressed in repentance. The last thing to say here. I believe this is Adam repenting of what he did earlier. God comes to Adam. What have you done? Well, that woman you gave me. Now, he says, Eve, the mother of all living. He's repenting in relation to his wife. Well, the last thing to say. Let me just apply this verse very quickly to us. I want to encourage you. Whatever circumstance you are in, whatever trial you're going through, whatever difficulty may be facing you, the chief thing is to continue believing the promises. It is to continue exercising faith in what God has said will happen. You remember David says in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What is the image you get when he talks about the valley of the shadow of death? of death, darkness, and difficulty. And David says, even though I walk through that valley, thou art with me. That is saving faith. Continue exercising faith. Continue looking to the promises. And God will deliver you in due season. 
Well, finally, God is very tender towards us. He knows that we are made from the dust. He knows that we have feet of clay. And so he gives us signs and seals. He gives us the sacraments to encourage our faith, to strengthen our faith so that we will persevere. Now, I hope you know that a sacrament is only something God has appointed. We don't make sacraments up. We can't come up with different things and say, this would be a nice thing to do. We'll call it a sacrament. A sacrament is something that God appoints. And the sacrament, the the signs that God uses, correspond, they relate to, they illustrate the spiritual reality that's going on that we can't see. Think about the two sacraments he's given us. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. In baptism, we take water and wash. Physical water on the physical body represents the spiritual water washing the soul of their sins. It perfectly corresponds to what it symbolizes. Bread and wine. We feed on the flesh and blood of the Lord Jesus. He is our food and he is our drink. It corresponds to what it symbolizes. Now here, in verse 21, I think we are to understand the clothes sacramentally. Let me be careful. I'm not saying they're sacraments. As much as our boys would want to, I'm not saying we go out and get bearskins and start putting them on and wearing them around. There may be a place for that, but not in the church. I'm not saying this is a sacrament. I'm saying it works like a sacrament. It functions the same way. Notice, unto Adam also and his wife did the Lord God make Coats of skins. The Lord is the one who does this. The Lord is the first tailor, as it were. He kills the animal. He makes a coat of skins. And then he clothes them. Keep in mind the context of Genesis 3. What happened when Adam and Eve sinned? What was the first thing they realized? We are naked. We're ashamed because of our nakedness. They go through this episode. The Lord confronts them. He judges them. He gives them a promise. They exercise faith in the promise. And then the Lord says, here's a coat. Let's cover your nakedness so that you will know I have accepted you through faith in the promise. For the sake of time, I'll... Just simply apply this. There's a lot more that we can say about the sacraments. It would be good to your souls to study the sacraments and to think about how they work. Sacraments are given to us so that we would persevere. Sacraments are given to us so that we would persevere through the Christian life. Think about Adam and Eve and what they're about to face. Cast out of paradise itself. What's one of the primary things you need when you go outside? You need a coat. So God says, I'll give you a coat so that you can endure. That's how the sacraments function. Use them, be benefited by them, and recognize God has given them to you for your sake to strengthen your faith. Salvation from beginning to end is the same. From Adam to you and me. God puts forth a promise... The Spirit works faith in that promise and causes us to believe 
in that promise. Now, where does that leave you and me? You don't control the Spirit. I don't control the Spirit. Where that leaves you and me is looking to the promise. Looking at what God has said. Looking at what He said about Jesus Christ. Ultimately, as Paul the Apostle says, in Christ, all the promises of God are yes and amen. So how was Adam saved? Just the way you are saved. Looking to Christ in the promise. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for your promises. And we ask that you indeed would show your son to us. That you would uphold him in our minds and hearts by the word of your promise that we might have faith in him. We confess, O Lord, that it is impossible for us to lay hold of him unless you first work in us. Grant your spirit that we might believe and in believing we might be saved. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.